Our lifespan is increasing, but what about our health span, the portion of our lives in which we're healthy? Extend your health span with SRW, Science Research Wellness. SRW is a nutraceutical company that curates the latest science and research to formulate supplements designed to support the structure, function, and processes within our cells that change with age. SRW's cell range line, cell 1, cell 2, and cell 3, constitute the complete cellular system range which supports the nine areas of the cell to change with age, the nine hallmarks of aging. SRW's carefully selected cutting-edge ingredients and formulations support the aging process in a way that previous generations have not had access to. Learn more about the science behind SRW, the nine hallmarks of aging, and how you can find out your biological age by going to srw.co. That's srw.co. SRW, the science of aging well. srw.co. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and today we're going to talk about a crisis that uh, really affects the medical field, and it affects doctors and health practitioners, but it ultimately affects the public. Uh, we're going to talk to uh, an expert on the medical scene. Uh, she's Twyla Brays. Uh, she is president and co-founder of Citizens Council for Health Freedom. That's the CCHF. You can find them at cchfreedom.org. And her new book points to a crisis. Big Brother in the Exam Room. The Dangerous Truth About Electronic Health Records. And, you know, frankly, uh, uh, Twilight, if I may call you that, um, whenever doctors get together, and your doctors seek each other out. You know, just like at parties, you know, lawyers talk to one another, doctors find each other, and they end up talking, huddling in a corner, talking. Uh, the subject always comes to EHRs, and that's when the profanities start to fly, <laughs> because EHRs are the bit noir of the medical field these days, and and that's one of the things that your book uh, deals with. But you know, let's you know, first of all. Uh, how was it? Tell us a little bit about Citizens Council for Health Freedom. What's what's that about? We are a nonprofit, free market healthcare policy organization, aiming to put the patient and the doctor back together with the patient primary, and so we support policies that um, support individualized patient care and freedom of healthcare choices, as well as patient privacy rights, and that's both medical and genetic privacy rights, because we say that he who holds the data makes the rules, and so we understand that the right of privacy um, protects freedom in the exam room. And and that really is what it's all about. It's uh, disrupting the doctor-patient relationship, right? Uh, and, and that's one of the big knocks against uh, uh, electronic health records. And, you know, let's first of all, let's make the case for electronic health records. Uh, so often 
uh, when I'm in the doctor's office. Uh, I'm looking for patients' records, and then it's it's a scramble. You know, we got to call places, and then they don't have the records. The patients come in with incomplete records. We waste a lot of time. Uh, and then we make decisions sometimes based on incomplete records. So I did, wouldn't it be great if it was all in the cloud, all your records, your entire health record from, you know, birth to grave, every medication you've taken, every blood test you've taken, uh, it instantaneously available to every doctor on the planet. That would be the ideal, wouldn't it? Or well, not. not or not. Our perspective. <laughs> okay. Or not. <laughs> I mean, the, the confidentiality of what happens in the exam room. The exam room has to be a sanctuary for the patient because sometimes the patient has to talk about things that are very embarrassing mm -hmm. or things that if outsiders got their hands on that information could be used against the individual. And sometimes it's um, things that nobody else is ever going to hear, but in order for the patient to get the care that the patient needs, the patient has to be able to be frank with the physician and know that the confidentiality of what's being said and the diagnoses and the treatment and all of that is going to be kept confidential because at the end of the day, the patient is the only reason that we have a healthcare system. The patient's the only reason that we have a doctor. And if the system does not work for the patient, if the system doesn't make the patient comfortable to um, say what needs to be said to get to make happen what needs to happen for the, uh, that patient, then we do not have a system that works for the patient. We have a system that has other priorities. So give us some examples of how this can go awry, uh, you know, so, in terms of a confidential disclosure by a patient to a doctor, you know, just, uh, you know, and by the way, yeah. you know, I've been drinking too much or, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm gay. I've done some unprotected sex uh, and things along drug use, uh, these types of things, uh, mental right, problems, so, depression, anxiety. Right. So there's all the different diagnoses and the treatments and the indiscretions and, you know, all of these uh, sorts of things. But then, and there's always been that, right? But there wasn't always the linking of all of this information together, like the Epic Health, uh, the uh, Epic system for electronic health records that has, I can't remember what's in my book, uh, it's like 62 or 68% of the American public has at least some portion of their medical record information in the EPIC system. Uh, so I was talking recently to a healthcare professional who was um, providing a certain limited service, not a doctor, it's, it's one of these uh, ancillary professionals, and um, she was telling me how she knows that patients don't have any idea that she can see, I mean, she's just doing <laughs> this one little treatment for them, but she can see what medications they've taken. She can mm -hmm. see that they've got erectile um, uh, dysfunction. She can yep. see that they have uh, had an abortion or that they are uh, being treated for, for a sexually transmitted disease. She knows that none of them even think that she knows all that information on them, but because of not only the electronic health record, which digitized the information, right, and, and put it in a format where it could be shared, but also because of the so-called HIPAA privacy rule, which allowed the information to be digitized, allowed it to be put onto electronic health records, and said that the patients don't have any right to um, say no, mm -hmm. that consent is not necessary for the sharing of this information, for putting it into these big systems, for having it accessible to anyone who you know, is using one of these electronic health records and goes looking. So there's the issue of uh, potential 
disclosure of this information to, say, employers, uh, to insurance companies, uh, to the government, uh, law enforcement certainly, you know, can get access to some of these things, uh, maybe profile someone, uh, justifiably or unjustifiably. Um, these are some of the potential hazards. And, and, you know, they say these records are secure. What's the deal? Aren't they secure? Or don't they have, you know, all kinds of fail-safe mechanisms to make sure that they don't uh, lose health records and they don't go out into the open? And when you say the word secure or you say the word privacy to the average person in the public, they're, they're really thinking that, you know, the data goes nowhere. But under the, under HIPAA, the data can go all sorts of places. So the federal government uh, put out a rule back in 2010 and they listed who can have access to medical records without the patient's consent. And they listed more than 700,000 covered entities. And those Whoa. covered entities include doctors, hospitals, health plans, long-term care facilities, uh, radiology facilities, labs, you know, uh, pharmacies. And all of those are the covered entities. Um, but then they also listed 1.5 million business associates. And those are, you know, like lawyers and data analysts and researchers and, and all sorts of other folks for a whole variety of business operations that can have that data shared without the patient's consent. But what, what is not in that 2.2 million number are the government agencies that can have access for things like the 12 national priority purposes that gives like the um, federal government um, access for public health purposes um, and or, or researchers or others who can have access to, to this information without any kind of uh, consent. And so, you know, there's a whole plethora of folks that can have access. And I believe um, it was, um, I know it was, I know it was David Brayler, who is the first national coordinator of health information technology for the federal government, who, who said a statement that went something like this. Um, you cannot choose to have them share your data with those you want it shared with, and you cannot stop them mm -hmm. from not sharing it with those that you don't want to get it. And that's what, that's what HIPAA has done. And so all of this information is available. And, you know, before the, uh, Obama administration and the, and Congress in 20, in 2000, before the Obama administration and Congress in 2009 mandated that doctors and hospitals put electronic health records designed by the government in every exam room and at every hospital bed, before that time, yes, data could be digitized, but the majority of doctor's offices and hospitals did not have these systems in. Mm -hmm. And so, and so this, this information, even, even though it could be shared under HIPPO, was not so broadly shared as it is today. And patients have nothing to say about this. They don't have any rights under HIPAA unless a state law gives them the right of consent. And mm -hmm. state laws, state legislatures can do that, and those laws have to be followed. That's the only good thing about HIPAA. Um, but other than that, this information can all be shared without their consent for all of these purposes if those who hold the information uh, give it away. Wow. So or, or sell it. <laughs> right. Okay. Is, is, is that sort of on the uh, uh, the dark web, that kind of uh, situation, or is it more overt than that? Well, under 
under HIPAA, it says that as long as you take off 18 specific identifiers, Mm -hmm. the data is no longer protected and can now be sold or used for anything that um, that anybody wants to use it for. To send you drug ads, for example, you know, like uh, profiling you as someone who maybe has hypertension or or or, uh, you know some malady, and and then getting getting pitches for buying things. No, it's that it's different than that, because because they don't have your name anymore when they when they sell the data. Although the federal government admits that your information could be re-identified, because there are so many public databases and the data systems are so big that it can be re-identified. So yes, that that could happen. But usually, the kind of advertisements that you're talking about are coming because of the hospital. HIPAA does allow. Um, companies to come to the hospital, pay the hospital money, and then have the hospital advertise on behalf of the company so that Mm. the advertisement will be sent out, but only sent out by the hospital. So the hospital won't give the names Mm -hmm. to the, you know, the diaper company or the formula company or, or whatever, right? But the hospital will send out the ads on behalf of those companies. Mm. That sounds like a kind of an interlocking directorate there. (laughs) So, (laughs) some, some, uh, complicity. But, you know, from our perspective, there's a lot of people who say, well, I don't have anything in my record that I'm worried about. Mm -hmm. And I would say to that concern, I would say, you've not looked in your medical record. You Mm -hmm. would be surprised at what is in your medical record, as a matter of fact. Um, However, if we set that concern aside, I think the biggest concern about the electronic health record is the fact that it is a command and control infrastructure. The biggest the biggest concern about the electronic health record is that it is a command and control infrastructure and that that infrastructure is meant to give outsiders control over the exam room. It's meant to uh, collect data, Mm -hmm. to analyze data, to profile the patient, to profile the doctor, and to determine whether or not the doctor gets paid or how much. Mm -hmm. It's there to determine the value of the doctor's services as outsiders decide the value, not according to the time that the doctor spends, not according to the expertise, mm-hmm. not according to the hours, nothing. Even the it's appropriateness of the care, outsiders. it's more, it's even right. more insidious than that. It's, you know, is the care appropriate? Uh, because uh, even though I don't use electronic health records, I start seeing uh, notices that just based simply on a diagnosis uh, that someone has high cholesterol. And I often treat my patients with high cholesterol with diet and lifestyle, which is appropriate. Same thing with hypertension. But I get prompted, uh, you know, doctor, you know, shouldn't this patient be on a statin? You know, and that's that's really uh, controlling and influencing the way that I treat a patient. That's right. And the patient doesn't know that you're getting that kind of message from someone on the outside who wants to tell you how to practice medicine. And for some uh, physicians, this is much more difficult because they um, they're young and they have a huge um, loan for their medical education or they're not sure where else they can go, or, you know, the, the practice has been purchased by the hospital and now they've become an employee. And so this control uh, could never have come without this government-designed electronic health record. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that's an important piece to say, is that I call this the government EHR. It has to be certified by the government to do what the government says it must do. Therefore, it is government designed, government mandated, and not 
the electronic health record that perhaps the doctor would choose. Because there are electronic health records that doctors had before the government EHR, and they worked for the care of patients, and they worked Mm -hmm. for the way the doctor had his or her practice. But this electronic health record that's sitting in every exam room is not there for the benefit of the patient. It's there for the benefit of the outsiders who want to control what happens in the exam room. Mm -hmm. And so another... uh Perhaps a foreseen consequence of this is that it's sort of driving independent practitioners out of business. So many, you know, I've got, I've been an independent practitioner with a small practice uh, for my entire medical career. But, uh, you know, when I get together with my uh, medical school alumni, now it's been about 30 years since we went to med school. Uh, many of them meant the fact that they started medicine in private practice, you know, with an office, maybe a small group practice, uh, but they've had to go work for a hospital. And the reason they've had to work for a hospital is because of the enormous overhead associated with mandated uh, EHR requirements uh, or these uh, systems that can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then that's just the beginning because, you know, they, they constantly need, uh, they always crash and burn and they always need you know, upgrades and fixes and uh, IT comes in and pretty soon you have to work for the hospital to be able to afford to practice medicine. Yes. So hospital, so doctors have been, you know, purchased by, you know, the practices have been purchased by hospitals because that's the way the physician's office could survive. But also smaller hospitals have been gobbled up by big hospitals Mm -hmm. because they couldn't afford the system. And so this has caused a mass consolidation and put much more of the power into the hands of far fewer players, and it has made the physicians, oftentimes, even though the physicians don't want to be in that position, it's really put them in a conflict of interest with their patient, because in this, what what is called the vertical integration of the healthcare system, where eventually, and, and actually happening today, are where the health plans are now starting to buy hospitals, mm-hmm. or hospitals are buying health plans, and then they're buying up doctors, and now you have the patient who comes in who is being looked at as oftentimes the burden, not not the customer, not the valued customer, but the financial burden, because a lot of this, uh, what's happening out there, as you know, is that there are these capitated payments or these Medicare yeah. um, containment savings, yeah. yep, all these cost containment mechanisms, which makes the patient especially the uh, expensive patient, to be um, an adversary of the doctor or an adversary of the hospital or the Mm -hmm. clinic. And that is never the position that a patient should be put into because already just by being a patient, no matter what they need, no matter how small, they can't get it without the doctor. And so they are vulnerable by nature. And then we have made them more vulnerable by um, having the doctors no longer working for the patients. Right. There's also the issue of the inaccuracy of the uh, EHRs because they have what are called templates. And uh, the the problem with the templates is that uh, the templates don't reflect the subjective experience of the doctor uh, interacting with the patient. And often erroneous information gets entered. You know, like, for, I mean, classically, and I've seen this, uh, uh, you know, a prostate exam on a woman, you know, just by, just by virtue of a, an erroneous click, uh, you can put down that the prostate exam was normal. Uh, and that stays in the health record. It's very hard to get it expunged from the health record. Um, you know, and so this kind of information, 
just gets cloned and replicated. And uh, it's it's sort of uh, paint by numbers medicine. It's no, you know, the 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 art of writing a history uh, has been replaced by algorithms and uh, clicks and and boilerplate that's available to you on the EHR. Right. I have a chapter in the book, and for your listeners, you can go to bigbrotherinthexamroom.com to order it. But I have a chapter that's called Clinical Chaos. And uh, it talks a lot about sort of um, all the unnecessary verbiage that has been, yep. that is being put into the electronic health record and physicians trying to hunt and peck around all of these words to try and find where's the meat, yep. where's the thing that I need to know, where's the thing that just happened, um, how do I even understand where my patient is currently at now, which screen should I look yeah. at? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I remember when you talk about clicks, I remember this one physician told me that she typically orders this, you know, one thing or, you know, these several things, but her, the pull down menu that she has to choose from has about 250 choices. Hmm. So she's got to find that hmm. one little thing amidst the 250 choices and make sure she doesn't let go, you know, too soon so that it's the right. one above it or the one under it, right? Yeah. And so so there are new medical errors that have been created because of the electronic health record. And there are things that are missed because people can't even find where they should be looking inside that mm-hmm. record because that record is not made for the care of patients. It's made for the collection and yeah. reporting of data. And, and right. And just to, to flesh that out a little bit, uh, in order to demonstrate that you've uh, uh, performed a full exam to get a certain reimbursement to get that you know 135 dollars instead of you know 8250 uh you have to go through certain routines and you can demonstrate that by clicking on options in the EHR to demonstrate the thoroughness of your evaluation and but you got then that just adds voluminous amounts of you know check this check that check that check this it's normal 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 but you know, it's, it would be tedious to write it, so they have boilerplate to provide you with the description of the things that you probably didn't even look at, <laughs> you know, ultimately. Right. You know, it's, uh, you know, we used to write, uh, WNL, you know, like, uh, chest yeah. exam, WNL, uh, and what that means is within normal limits, but our sardonic joke about that was, it means we never looked. <laughs> but WNL has been replaced with probably, you know, uh, 12 lines of, uh, you know, this negative, that negative, the other thing negative, uh, which is think, easy for a computer more, to replicate. I think more lines than that, because I recently had just a very simple visit to a uh, uh, specialist for, you know, something really very simple. And I said, you know, I'd like a copy of my record. Mm-hmm. So I've got a copy you of my being record. You, you want to get a copy of your records. Yeah, right. Four pages long. Okay. And it said of all these things I didn't have. Oh, okay. And then, and in between there, I would find, oh, okay, uh, they found, you know, or this, you know, this was a positive finding, so to speak. But, but you'd have to read all the things I didn't have, all the conditions mm-hmm. I didn't have, mm-hmm. this I didn't have, didn't have, didn't have, didn't have, didn't have, you know, for four, four pages. There was probably only four things that could have fit on a half a sheet. Yeah. But there were four pages. Could have been a simple medical transaction, but or the, uh, 
the physician was not yet your beck and call. Was it the beck and call of the insurance company and the hospital and you know whoever else oversees that uh, that intervention and you know has to demonstrate, you know, basically they're singing for their meal to someone else besides the patient. And that's that's bad. Okay, we're going to pause because we divide our podcast into two parts, as our listeners know. And in part two, we're going to take a, a deeper dive on this book, Big Brother in the Exam Room, The Dangerous Truth About Electronic Health Records and why the health care that uh, you may be receiving uh, in the future uh, is going to be of inferior quality, despite all these marvelous technological innovations. Maybe they're not so great. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Our guest is Twyla Bray. She's president and co-founder of Citizens Council for Health Freedom, CCHF, at www.cchfreedom.org. We'll be right back. <laughs> 